today in space. Today in space. In space. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I just want to start off by saying I'm very sorry that the show is out uh, late this week. Uh, it's just been a crazy week. Lots of stuff happening. Lots of great things. Uh, but <laughs> not enough time to get them all done. Uh, so uh, we're out putting out this episode on Saturday. And it might just... Yes, you know what? That's it. We're deciding right now. Damn it. Every show this month is going to be on Saturday. Uh, it's just been crazy trying to get this schedule going, and it's the only thing that seems to make any sense right now. So we're going with that, uh, and we're going to be talking about a lot of craziness this week. Uh, but we'll start off. We'll start off slow. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll 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 ride slowly into insanity this week. Uh, we'll start by talking about uh, an update from last month uh, with three D printing, because we have another three D printing report for you. All right, so 3D printing last month uh, was going really well. I had a few projects I was really trying to do and get done. And one of the ones I was really had a great time doing was the new fan that I had to use for my 3D printer. You know, we talked about I was trying to print ABS before, and the fumes were just building up faster than we could get rid of them with the fan that I had. So bought a new fan, but... It, you know, I really wanted to challenge myself with some engineering stuff. So uh, I wanted to keep the same hole. The fan is bigger than the old one. And I wanted to design a mount for it that brought the bigger fan into the hole of the smaller fan. So also to create some uh, more force, really, for the air uh, to really get uh, pushed through the vent faster. That was kind of the idea, was anything I could do to kind of uh, really force the airflow to get out. That, that was the idea. So uh, my first design uh, was really based off of if I was just manufacturing this myself. You know, I've done it before. You know, take basically, in this case, it would have been uh, a circular section of metal. Um, it would have been wood if I had done it regularly. And just kind of use it's just like a cylinder. Right, and then just cut out, you know, design all the the inlets, the place for the screws to mount into the top of the thing, you know, all that stuff, all that cool stuff. But then I went to go put it into the three D printing software to see how much time it would take, and that design was going to take forty estimated hours. Forty hours—that's estimated. And the way my printer has been going with the software, I would have to add in another twenty hours. So we're talking 60 hours on my 3D printer because I designed it as if I was building it the traditional way. So it was a quick lesson of, hey, you can't design things to be 3D printed the same way you design them to make them with uh, like regular engineering. So anyways, so then I was like, okay, we've got to trim this down. So kind of cut away some some sides and tried to make it a little bit thinner, I, what I thought was a low profile. Um, and once I was done with it, ran it back through the software, it was going to take me another 28 hours. So it was great. I knocked down 12, but I was still screwed, 
you know, this is going to take way too long because, again, you add in the, the other 50% and we're talking something like 40, 42 hours. So that's just not, can't do that. So I really, really kept my head down. I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I really get this as thin as possible? And went kind of looking on the internet and ended up seeing a few things that I thought would work really well. And what I came to the conclusion was, I just need to build the walls of this, you know, really the things that's putting it together. Just keep it as thin as possible. You know, I had to really think outside the box. I had to think not like I would build things usually. And that's that's definitely a challenge and something that people who are 3D printing now are, are starting to excel at, which is a whole other branch of how you design things, how you make things. You know, you're making them and considering the amount of time it's going to take versus what you really need. You know, because before when we made things, it was we have this hunk of material and out of this material, we're going to make something. So you you deconstruct it, you take away the material to make your product. But that's not how 3D printing works. 3D printing, you are literally making it with the material. So you need to approach it way differently. So I, I wanted to kind of introduce that concept to you guys. Is With 3D printing, every aspect of it, it really all comes down to time. Time is the biggest motivator, the biggest thing that makes 3D printing worth it for anybody is the amount of time it's going to take to get your product. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different ways that people charge for 3D printing, but really time, it's very important because if if I was going to make that first version of the mount for the fan for my 3D printer, I would have just done it with wood, you know, and it would have taken me way less time and would have cost much less. And that's one of the arguments against 3D printing is the cost. But you can do so many different things with 3D printing and, and you can move so much faster with 3D printing that it really has to just become a decision on your point. You know, what are you willing to go? You know, what are you willing to do with this? You know, do you want the complex custom shape that you wouldn't get anywhere else? Or do you want to just do it another way that's faster? These are all decisions you have to make when you're 3D printing or when you're manufacturing anything. And 3D printing is just another tool. So if you ever hear anybody saying, oh, 3D printing is going to change the world, you know, everyone's just going to be 3D printing. They, they won't have any other manufacturing ever. It's not true because it all comes down to money and all comes down to time. Uh, and that was the important lesson I learned last month. Uh, definitely really cool to design for a 3D printer. Uh, and we'll, we'll go more into it. I'm, I'm going to do a whole video on that specifically, uh, maybe even a blog post. We'll see. Um, but that's when we find some time here. So look forward to that. And uh, let's move on to our next segment this week. A little bit of orbital news for you. This week, we're talking about Beam and the ISS. Uh, for anyone who doesn't remember, Beam is the inflatable space uh, space capsule space... Uh, how should we put this? Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, space, space living space. How about that? Uh, it's inflatable, where everything else is made from metal. 
So this is the first time we're testing this technology. You know, uh, it's going to save lots of money shipping up there because it'll be lighter. Um, and they're testing everything about this now. Uh, Bigelow Aerospace bought the patent from NASA, and they worked on the technology, and now we're testing it out. They have a, a partnership now with NASA and Bigelow are working together to see if this could be the next type of um, of living space in space. <laughs> that would be easier to describe that, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? So... Beam was tested, uh, you know, last week we talked about how it was being inflated. It was fully inflated, and last we left it, Jeff Williams, astronaut, NASA astronaut extraordinaire, was going to go in there and uh, actually go inside the inflatable craft for the first time. Um, and that's was a really big deal, and they took lots of pictures, and there's plenty of video up. There's going to be a link this week uh, in this week's episode. Uh, and he went in there, and not only was he just going in there to kind of float around and see, you know, oh, hey, you know, this looks good, cool, we're done. No, it's not just that. He wasn't just going in. Uh, he was not only going in there, he was installing sensors and and uh, to test radiation, to test air pressure, air quality, um, all these other sensors that have to be done so we, so we can take this opportunity of using the first inflatable um, space habitat. That's the word I was looking for. Space habitat, and see if it's going to protect ourselves while we're in space. Because that's really what it comes down to. You know, this inflatable craft is great, but if it doesn't hold up to what the traditional, excuse me, the traditional uh, metal um, habitats, then you know, we're kind of at a loss there. You know, we'll need to work on it more. But we need to test it now so that we know that it actually works. Uh, so that's that's been really uh, the most exciting thing I've seen this week on, on the ISS has been BEAM. BEAM has been just uh, uh, a really cool project to watch unfold, you know, because first of all, the inflating aspect is just really insanity if you think about it in real life. You know, you're inflating... Uh, this <laughs> this cloth fabric in the absence in, in, in a vacuum you know and you have to make sure it doesn't leak and doesn't explode on you so it took a lot longer than I really expected I know I said it last week but it really is it's a true point it, it's not what we always expect it to be so uh, this inflatable craft has done fantastical, fantastic, fantastical, fantastic so far. And uh, it's really fun to see where it's going, uh, you know, and having Jeff Williams in there up, uh, putting all those sensors in. We're going to learn a lot over the next two years. We're going to learn what it's capable of, uh, if it has any downfalls, and really it will give Bigelow an idea and NASA where to go forward with this, you know. will Should we... Uh, do we have to go back to the drawing board on some things or, or introduce uh, different uh, procedures when, when putting up? We'll, we'll actually have a procedure now, you know, and maybe if it really it does a great job and really succeeds phenomenally at the end of these two years, we may start seeing more habitats, maybe larger ones, maybe ones that are in totally different situations. You know, I'm sure down the road, they would love to really send up a spacecraft that can be fully inflated. 
um, by itself. And then the entire habitat would be inflatable. You could have an entire station that's inflatable. Um, but these are all things that will be decided once we know what they can do, what this first one can do. So it's really exciting. It's going to be something we're going to be following for the next two years. And I really can't wait to see how it goes. So uh, thank you to Jeff Williams for putting in the work to get this to work. And everyone at Bigelow and NASA who were who were there to help see this project through. Um, it's a it's a tiny step towards a grand future. So it's really exciting to watch. Um, more in orbital news. Uh, later this week, uh, or next week, what is the date today? The date today is the 11th. So on the 18th, a week from now, next Saturday, uh, we're going to have the returning Expedition 47 crew. Uh, that includes NASA's Tim Copra, uh, ESA's and Britain's own Tim Peake, and uh, the Russian space agency Roscosmos's Yuri Melanchenko. Uh, and these uh, three gentlemen have spent 186 days in space uh, doing countless hours of science for, man, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long list of things that they've been able to accomplish in 186 days since, since they were launched in December 2015. Um, they've worked on uh, biology, biotechnology, physical science, and earth science, uh, and doing this all on the, the crazy floating space lab apartment, the ISS. You know, uh, they're going to be coming back on a Soyuz TMA-19M. Uh, they're going to be undocking from the ISS at 1.52 a.m. on Saturday. That's the uh, 17th. And then, no, I apologize, that is still the 18th. I'm getting screwed up by my time here. Uh, but they're going to be landing that same day, uh, basically three hours later at 5.15 a.m. East Coast time uh, in Kazakhstan, uh, where most of the Soyuz landings happen. So lots to look forward to. Uh, I always love watching landings. Uh, we may even see another uh, periscope from... Uh, Chris Hadfield, he did it uh, for the last landing for um, Scott Kelly. I mean, that was definitely a big event where a lot of people were watching, but really hope he does another one. It was uh, really cool to get uh, an astronaut's perspective of what they're experiencing and, and hearing his stories of the different missions where he's come back and and learning about that culture, that, that the astronaut's culture of of really being this international human being who who goes around, learns about these different cultures, and really learns about everything. I mean, they really do. These astronauts are, they're, they're yeah, there's, some of them are specialists. You know, there's flight engineers, there's commanders, there's uh, pilots. Uh, but they are so well-rounded in what they can do and what they have to do while they're up there. You know, uh, it's a lot of work that seems to go unnoticed. Uh, but let me tell you, I am noticing, gentlemen, bravo, gentlemen and ladies, all, all, all the astronauts and cosmonauts and taikonauts, um, all the space-faring human beings that go out there, uh, you guys are awesome, all of you. 
and so I want to wish luck and uh, safe landings to Tim Copra, the both Tims, Tim Copra, Tim Peake, and Yuri Melanchenko for June 18th. Uh, the Earth welcomes you back. And that about does it for uh, this week's Orbital News. And as promised, we will slip slightly into madness here as we talk about our next segment for Today in Space. I'd like to call this one Elon Musk said dot dot dot. Because the internet and frankly a lot of people that... uh, (laughs) I deal with on a pretty regular basis could not help themselves but tell me what Elon Musk said at a recent conference that blew up the internet. The YouTube video that you can find in this week's episode has over 750,000 views. Um, And it involves a not-so-new idea. Uh, In fact, if you've seen The Matrix, you'll be very aware with the concept of a simulated reality. And essentially the internet went as far to claim that Elon Musk himself allegedly said that we live in a simulated reality. But if we go back to the tape, Elon Musk did not say that. What he did answer was a question from someone in the audience about the idea of simulation theory. And uh, in typical Elon fashion, he went through, uh, you could actually see him thinking as he was processing all the information and then went to dump it on all of us, which essentially he believes there is one in billions chance that if I'm getting this correctly, because it is quite fucked uh, as far as sane thought goes, um, one in billions chance that we will either... Uh, create a reality, an augmented reality that is indiscernible from our reality or civilization will cease to exist. So essentially it is our human destiny to create this. Otherwise, um, civilization ends uh, (laughs) as we know it. Uh, And he goes into some, some interesting thoughts, you know, about, you know, at the rate, Technology is growing, even if it takes us 10,000 years, which, as he says, in the evolutionary scale is very small, and in in a universal scale, it is very small. And essentially, it is inevitable that we will do this. But I think what everyone really just wants to hear is that we live in the matrix. And that's what it seemed like the person who was asking the question was trying to get out of. Elon was saying, yes, we live in the matrix here we go. But Elon's not going to do that. And of course, the media jumps on it and just sides, you know, oh, yep, that's what he means. Because they didn't understand what the fuck he was talking about in the first place. You know, it, one, of the, one of the questions, because I, I did, I really dove into this idea. I've never really taken time to think about it this week. And I will not, I'll be honest with you guys. It fucked me up a little bit. You know, it really did because uh, it's a fun thought because really every answer you have to either deny or provide for that argument that we live in a simulation, there's always a counter uh, counter, uh, fact or 
idea or theory that essentially becomes this perpetual circular argument uh, paradox. You can't prove you're not in a simulation, but you also can't prove you are. You know, so it's really screwed up. But I did want to throw you some of my ideas. Number one, why does it matter, first of all? Why does it matter so much that you need to know that we live or don't live in a simulated reality? I mean, what time do you have on your hands to seriously sit there and rack your brain constantly about, you know, basically, is existence even worth it? Uh, it is what it seems like people are asking, you know? It, it, to me, it just seems like some excuse to get out of your responsibilities and blame it on the simulation, just like every other thing people complain about. That's what it seems like to me. For the majority of people talking about this, they just want to know, okay, I'm in a simulation, uh, I feel a little bit better about my life, which seems crazy to me, but whatever. But even if we do live in a, in a simulated reality, so what? You live in the coolest video game ever. Go out there and play it. Okay? And while you sit there and rack your brain about, oh man, do I even exist? You know, oh, do, is, is, it, is, it, is this even real? Guess what? I'm out there focusing all that energy you would focus on whether our reality is real and making things happen. As I'm sure the people listening are going to do. And if not, don't sit there and worry about the fact that we live in a simulation. Because even if we did, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, and, and, and to go even further, right, think about the fun idea of taking something that was really only ever seen in nature, programming in nature, you know, how nature is able to figure out and decipher and, and work through and adjust and adapt and keep things surviving. That, in the grand scheme, is essentially where computers want to emulate is nature and, and how life works. But that stuff, computer technology, all those things came out of this reality. You know, it's that whole thing, the chicken and the egg. You know, which came first? Guess what? <laughs> it wasn't the computer. <laughs> so to think that we live in a computer simulation seems a little fucked. Because all that stuff came from computers. Now, I will say, I think what really messed me up was when I was thinking about this, that life really does emulate or, or, or computer technology and think the way the computers work and we are able to simulate things resonates a lot with us because it's representing our reality. And when we get screwed up about which one came first? I think that's when people get really crazy. You know, yes, the ideal situation with computers is to be able to simulate real life. And there's a lot of things that need to happen in order for us to get to the point where we could even consider, like, am I in the real world or am I in the computer world? 
you know, and right now those, those two live together in our world. You know, we live in both a digital world and a physical world at the same time. If you're listening to this, this, that is a cause of that, of those two realities mixing together. But do not get fucked up into thinking that <laughs> the digital reality came first. It, it, there's no basis for that. And it's a fun thought. And you can really, really have some fun conversations. And, I, and that's what I think a lot of people enjoy talking about it is, wow, what a crazy thought that everything might not be real and that we're just in this game, in this simulation. Like, wow, that, that is very exciting. But how far do you let that thought get to you? Not very far in my book. You know, you only take it so far and then you got to get back to reality, which is what we're talking about anyways. <laughs> you know, you can't live any reality if you, you sit there contemplating constantly whether it actually exists. Then you have no reality. So if you hear this or you get caught in it, have fun with it, enjoy it, but do not fall into the paradox or the infinite loop. Don't do it. And I do want to point out that historically, there are some of the most brilliant people on the world at that time have said some pretty outrageous things that turned out to be not only not true, but totally off the ball. You know, I've used this example before on the show where uh, at the turn of the century, not this last one, but the one before, the head of the patent office stated that we were reaching this point where no new things could be invented because everything else had already been invented. This is the head of the patent office at the turn of the 20th century. What? There's also been plenty of times uh, there was uh, in scientific, um, scientific history, there was a time where, I'm sorry if it's so general, and you'll have to take my word for it, but there was a time when, I think it was before quantum mechanics became um, introduced to the world. We thought that essentially everything, as far as science was concerned, had been learned. And this, this was spoken by the geniuses of the time, the people who were at the fleeting edge of science and thinking and understanding how to manipulate and control matter and space and time. These same people thought that we were at a point where we just needed to learn how to get better precision of the things we already knew. Basically, everything had been known. All we need, the only advances that could be made are on the super precise level. And they were grossly wrong, as you can see today. I mean, if that mentality was still going on, you would not be listening to me the way you are right now. We would not have the iPhone, the smartphones. We would not have computers. 
we would not have all these amazing things that we have today because people settled on an idea. You know, and, and that's, I think, where this, this goes from. It's like, listen, it's a cool, cool, fun thing, but it's, it's breaching on that dangerous level of saying this is what is and always will be. And whenever anybody says that, things change. Whether it's because the sheer fact that they're stating that definite statement or, wow, that was just a weird way to say that, I apologize, uh, or, you know, it just happens to be perfect timing, you know, or just innovation can't be stopped and it will continue forward. And people who get stuck in the old ways will be jumped over. You know, I think a, a great example, an ancient example, is the idea of the earth not being the center of the universe. Another perfect idea that at the time was considered such a bad thing that you could have been killed for that idea. You know? It wasn't released until the man died. That's that's how serious that thought was, you know. And and granted, I, I while I was explaining this, I, I do realize that that simulation theory is a new theory. So technically, you could say, well, isn't that the theory? Isn't you saying that it's it couldn't be the same thing? And I would argue no, because can't test it. <laughs> But it's, it is essentially saying that there is a definite and, well, I'm just circling my own argument. See, this is the dangerous thing about having these circular arguments is you always end up arguing with yourself and then counterpointing your own self, which, is that the simulation? Is that the simulation? I don't know, folks. Like I said, it really fucked me up this week, and I'm sure I may have fucked you up this week, so I apologize. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy, crazy ideas that get thrown around. And if if I'm going to give you my honest opinion of, of what Elon Musk was actually trying to say, again, wasn't there, only saw a YouTube video of it, but I can have an opinion anyways. I think he was just really trying to have another conversation. He's had, uh, as he said himself, millions of conversations about this and did enough math to the point where he says, hmm, there's a one in billions chance this could happen. And he literally asked the crowd, is there anything wrong with this logic? Does anybody have anything to argue? <laughs> this? But I think everyone in the room was so shocked at this idea and I think that's what happens. I think every time he brings this up, the entire room just gets shocked. And nobody really debunks it. It seemed like the guy who was asking the question just wanted to get a yes or no, which is crazy because you're not going to get a yes or no out of Elon Musk. But <laughs> it's he was asking. He wasn't stating anything obvious, which of course is what the news is reporting. 
So I hope that sheds some light on the whole simulation theory and what Elon Musk may have said. But you can check it out yourself. I think it's a three-minute video. Uh, really interesting to just just watch the people's faces as he's explaining it and has everyone's kind of coming to terms <laughs> with the idea in question. Uh, there are some disgusted faces in the crowd, some some smiling, uh, some just straight confused. Uh, I would I would argue there's a few scared faces as well. <laughs> You go through the whole range of emotions when you think about this. It's seriously taken into consideration. Uh, it, it is crazy, and I'll leave you with that, that we're all fucked. <laughs> and there's no way we'll be able to figure that out. But even if it's true, you live in the most glorious video game ever created. So go out there, get a high score, and level up as high as you can because as far as we know there are no boundaries to this video game of life so go out there and fucking do it don't sit there and contemplate whether existence is futile go out there and exist it's as simple as that that's your answer do we live in a simulation who the fuck cares I'm gonna simulate the shit out of this life how about that how about that all right, everybody. Sorry for being short this week, but uh, we'll we'll pick it up next week. Just as crazy, probably, as this week. No, I'm just kidding. But we will continue with uh, more updates. We'll update you on the Expedition 47 landing. Um, first week of July, maybe second week of July, uh, we're having the next Expedition launch. And we're going to have a lot more. I'm sure we're going to have some kind of SpaceX launch soon. Maybe? Maybe? I don't know. I haven't checked it out, but they have been ramping up this summer, and uh, I fully expect another mission to happen. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll go over more stuff next week. And if you have any questions, please feel free to uh, uh, email me at todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at El Greco. That's E-L-G-R-3-C-O, E-L-G-R-3-C-O. Or on Facebook at Today in Space Podcast. Um, as always, if you want to help support the show, use our Amazon link to do your shopping as normal. Costs you nothing. Sends us a little bit of something thanks to Amazon for us sending you to them. And uh, you can also go and check out our single. That's right. We do music too. We don't just talk about crazy shit. We actually do music. Pluto the Misunderstood to celebrate what in July will be the year since we've finally seen and understand what Pluto really is. And it's kind of a glimpse into what we thought of Pluto before we actually knew Pluto. So uh, go check that out. Thank you for listening. We're back next week. Spread science, spread love, everybody. Enjoy yourselves. Have a great week. See you later.